Well, the next figure we have in church history is John Owen. John Owen. And I will say this, I don't have Steve Lawson's book to fall back on anymore. And so these things are just the product of my own private studies, looking into these figures, and I pray they'll be an encouragement to you. I'll start with a quote by John Owen, an exceptional quote by John Owen. He says this, he says, People also need to know that without Christ they have no righteousness with which to stand before God. And that only Christ can clothe them with that perfect righteousness, which is acceptable to God, having met all the demands of his holy law. This is the faith of God's elect against which all the works and deceits of Satan cannot prevail. The marriage of divine revelation with true experience is invincible. But those who have never seen their desperate need of Christ for these things will never persevere in believing in him nor remain in him by faith in times of persecution and strong temptations. John Owen. And I would encourage you all to read after some of John Owen, and then you might not think that I'm nearly as long-winded in my ability to carry a sentence out. Because he'll have run-on sentences that are paragraphs long, and it's one sentence. He just continues. But part of that, he's developing a complex idea it has many parts, and I believe there's a benefit in the way he does that. Now, the scripture to consider in light of John Owen's life is 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The first question we consider is who was John Owen? John Owen was born in 1616 in a, into a pure, uh, to Puritan parents, pardon me. At the age of 12, he was accepted into the Queen's College at Oxford. He would go on to achieve both a bachelor's and master's degree by 1635, though it is reported that during his school years he often only slept around four hours a night. This would lead to some significant health issues for him, but it also demonstrated the level of diligence that he had in study. After his years in study, Owen would go on to serve as a chaplain for a noble English family before eventually he was accepted as a minister in Essex, where he would marry and have 11 children. Then in 1646, John Owen would take a different pastorate and begin getting opportunities to preach in front of Parliament. And he would very quickly begin getting noticed for his brilliance. And then from 1649 until the death of Oliver Cromwell, many you may remember the name, was a well-known and significant political leader in English history. Uh, Owen served as a counselor, chaplain, and aide to Cromwell, both in Ireland, Scotland, and England. And so he, basically, Cromwell was from, became familiar with him, heard him speak at an engagement, and then started having him travel with him and counsel him and then speak at different engagements um, within Parliament even. John Owen was a prolific writer and he shaped much of the ecclesiastic and political landscape in his day. And his many writings are still often studied by Christian scholars to this day. The second question is, what was the state of the church during the life of John Owen? In the aftermath of the Protestant Reformation, the church continued to face challenges from several different angles. 
those who were put out with the uh, papal and ecclesiastical abuses of the Roman Catholic Church were yet in the process of establishing an agreed-upon church structure. Now, during this time in history, after the Protestant Reformation, it's important to remember that Anglicanism had developed in England. Now, part of the development of Anglicanism was had to do with Christians who were living in England who were basically fleeing from Roman Catholicism, but it also was established in some ways as an excuse for the English monarchy to not have to be accountable to the Catholic Church. One historical telling suggests to me that it was essentially founded because there was a, a English a king of England that wanted to divorce his wife, and the Pope said he couldn't. The church would have said, no, you can't. And so he establishes Anglicanism with the English monarch as the head of the Anglican church in order to be able to divorce and put out his wife. And although that wasn't all of them, and there are certainly Anglicans historically that were useful and significant, for example, J.C. Ryle was an Anglican. And he was a brilliant uh, Christian theologian and pastor and worth reading after. And there have been other Anglicans since him that were useful to God in the, in the church. Angli the Anglican religion was a big part of what was going on during this time in Owen's life. Um, and so the state of the church was, with Anglicanism well in place, as I mentioned, the English monarch was considered the head and authority over the Anglican church, which, by the way, has continued on to today. Uh, many people don't think about that when they look at the, the, the beauty and the aesthetic of you know, the, the royal family and think about Queen Elizabeth. They don't think about the fact that in Anglicanism, she was the head over the church as the, as the monarch. And so what impact did that have on the church in that day? Well, it would actually prove to be pretty disastrous for many Christians seeking to live by their conscience, according to the Bible. We'll save most of that discussion for the next time when we look at John Bunyan, who was one who faced severe opposition and imprisonment because of this authority within the monarchy to determine Christian truth. But for today, we'll just say this, that John Owen, he found himself in this time as one who really was kind of a part of both worlds. He had a measure of political and ecclesiastical influence but he was also highly sensitive to the proper place that was to be given to individual churches. Um, uh, John Owen, for example, was what was known as a nonconformist, that he was actually seeking to move away from the Presbyterian and the Anglican hierarchical systems. Both Presbyterianism and Anglicanism had a hierarchy that recognized particular figureheads within those church associations. Whereas the Anabaptists and the nonconformists would say, no, they're not an authority over us, which is one of the reasons why John Bunyan ended up in prison for preaching. It wasn't necessarily so much to do with what he was preaching as his belief that he was free to preach without the oversight and approval of the state. But for Owen, he had basically, he had his hand in both cookie jars. He was able to exist in a context where he was influential, like with Cromwell, but he also held convictions that often got him in trouble um, as a nonconformist. The third question is, what impact did John Owen have upon the church during his life? As we already noted, Owen's academic brilliance earned him much respect from the elites and the authorities of his day. 
But he also faced much opposition from those who opposed both his Calvinistic and nonconformist ideals. John Owen is known historically as one of the greatest theological minds, especially with regard to the doctrines of grace. Uh, it's no, it should come as no surprise that many uh, Calvinistic and Reformed preachers today refer to the works, the written works of John Owen as a help and as a guide. And his Calvinist, see, the Calvinistic creed was contrasted, especially with Roman Catholicism, who would emphasize man's activity, particularly the Pope and those authorities, the papal authorities. But then also I mentioned his nonconformist ideals were, would come into conflict and the things he taught and believed would come into conflict with uh, the Anglican position within the monarchy. His writing, as I mentioned, was complex and his logic was irrefutable at many points. Owen was, is known by many today as a master of expressing deep thought through brutally long sentences which take a sharp mind to follow. One thing about John Owen that many people overlook in light of his academic prowess and his political involvement was his overwhelming love for the gospel and his commitment to proclaiming it and hearing it proclaimed. You see, during all this, this struggle, this ecclesiastical authority struggle in the monarchy and telling preachers they don't have the authority to preach if they're not commissioned by essentially the state, John Owen's comfortable in getting to have a position of authority and a chaplain in the English military and all these things. John Bunyan's sitting in a jail cell, and in a discussion one day, John Owen makes this statement about Bunyan. He says, May it please your majesty... If I could possess the tinker, that was what Bunyan did for a living. If I could possess the tinker's abilities to grip men's hearts, I would gladly give and exchange all my learning. That was his position. Here's a guy who's in and out of jail, who's suffering miserably and with no education and someone with some of the highest education you could get in that day is saying, I would give it all up if I could move people's hearts the way this poor tinker is able to. John Owen was not merely interested in a cold intellectualism. Rather, Owen had been so moved himself by the truth of God and his word that he sought to uncover every possible diamond he could in the study of the scriptures. By a recommendation, perhaps to Owen's most notable works today that I could recommend would be uh, Sin and Temptation, as well as The Mortification of Sin. Both of these books, I have a copy of Sin and Temptation if you'd like to borrow it, but both of these works, these books would actually be a, a helpful addition to our study of sanctification in the Sunday School Hour right now, actually. But he's written, I think, over 80 different volumes he's got published and written that are just all worth their weight in gold as far as I can tell. Brilliant mind, and these books continue to bless many Christians today. The fourth point is the death of John Owen. John Owen did not die a glamorous death as a martyr. He wasn't under intense persecution as many others we've looked at in church history. But he did suffer many physical afflictions in his health in later years. And if you see that pattern as a young man in college, only sleeping four hours a night so that he can excel in his studies, um, I, I would suggest it's probably likely that as he got older in age, especially having 11 kids, as we heard, that he probably, and all the stuff he had going on to continue to grow in his understanding, I bet he spent a lot of time uh, studying when maybe he should have been sleeping. 
and it had an impact on his health, among some other things that, that he suffered. But he does seem to, for all accounts and purposes, to have remained faithful to God and the Word of God until the end of his life. And the fifth and last question is, how should the life of John Owen affect us today? Owen, like us, lived in a real world full of problems and difficulties at every level, from issues in the social and political realm to factions and divisions in the church, John Owen was acquainted with navigating a less than ideal world. And I didn't maybe mention this, but much of John Owen's influence was he wrote on how the church should be structured. He wrote great volumes of work on how the church, local church, should be structured and how oversight should exist. And that was a valuable, a valuable thing. And how what the church's relationship to the state was. I mean, he had significant works on these subjects. But whether we agree with all of his conclusions, which I suspect we would not, we cannot deny his commitment to study and know God's word. And God did bless his diligent study in many ways. As noticed in Owen's statement concerning John Bunyan, we must be those who study not merely for the sake of knowledge, but that we might know God in our souls and have our hearts warmed by that knowledge and then be prepared and compelled to share the truth of God with others. As I started with the opening scripture from 2 Timothy, I'll read it again in light of Owen's life. It'd be easy to look at him and say, that's unattainable. His level of understanding of truth, his great intellect, his significance. If you go and read one of his books on my shelf, you'd say, wow, this guy was a genius. And maybe he was, but he was committed to study. And so I recommend again, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best. One person's best is maybe not another person's best. But Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And I pray that even as Owen demonstrates in his life and the impact he had on the church in his day, that we might study to show ourselves approved that we would be workmen and women unto God with no cause for shame, rightly handling the word of truth. So that's all I've got this evening for John Owen. Brief, concise, hopefully, but hopefully whet your appetite enough to go and read some more about him and study his life. So I'll go ahead and pray and then we can gather for a corporate prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for history. I thank you for calling people from all different places throughout history to serve you and the advance of your kingdom. Lord, I pray for written records and for these works that others have done that we might grow and benefit from, and I pray that we would. Lord, help us to diligently seek you, to not be content with knowing less than what we might know from your word. And Lord, I ask that you would bless our time of prayer together now. In Jesus' name. Amen.